Hi everyone, it's your host Anna here, and I just wanted to give a quick note before we get into this episode. Um, You're about to hear an episode about the Stonewall Riots, and you might be wondering as you listen why we have not mentioned the protests um, that are currently going on in the United States um, over the issue of police brutality. And we just wanted to quickly note that the reason for that is because we actually recorded this episode um, a couple of weeks ago before those protests broke out. So we just wanted to let you know that we are not intentionally leaving that information out. It's just that those events hadn't happened yet at the time of the recording. Uh, We are celebrating Pride Month right now on the podcast, um, and we just want to acknowledge that the reason that we have Pride Month and the reason that we are where we are today is largely because of the contributions of people of color, particularly trans black women. So we just want to fully acknowledge that. We want to say that we are absolutely supporting the people who are protesting right now, learning, educating, donating, um, and doing everything we can to stand with the people who really need it. Um, you know, riots and protests are the way we enact social change. And we talk about that a little bit in the episode today. So I just wanted to give you that quick note. Um, we hope you enjoy the episode and we hope you learn something. Thanks, everyone. Hey, Anna, remember that time no one threw the first brick at Stonewall? and historical podcast. I'm your host, Anna Webb. And I'm your host, Amanda Webb. This is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all of their favorite moments in history. And happy Pride Month, everyone. Pride Month. I don't know why I sang it like that. I don't know either. You know, okay. I just need to get real quick (laughs) warning for this podcast. I am the most tired. Love it. I got like no sleep the night before we recorded this. I'm really punchy, so I just apologize in advance. Um, <laughs> if my reactions are super delayed, that is why, and I'm very sorry. Anyway, <laughs> it's Pride Month. It's Pride Month. <laughs> I know that um, a lot of Pride, all, you know, Pride events had to get canceled, which is a real bummer. But there's no reason we can't celebrate it here on the internet. So both of our episodes this month are going to be Pride related, and we're going to start by talking about the Stonewall riots which i'm very excited about yes the very beginnings of pride month pride as we know it Uh sort of well i mean it is it's the beginning of pride as we know it what i meant was (laughs) it's not the same as it was before correct yes yes. i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) should we should we refocus with a drink update (laughs) sure um i'm drinking some white wine tonight which probably is really gonna add to the energy (laughs) but I just wanted some. <laughs> you really are just whoo, I'm so tired. I'm sorry. Well, I'm drinking water. <laughs> yeah, As per usual. I almost had water this time, <gasps> and then I was like, something goes wrong every time I have water. So I decided against it, and I went with wine instead. <laughs> That's the next logical step. Uh-huh. Totally. Um, real quick before we get started, I just want to say, uh, the actual events at the first Stonewall riot were not super well documented, which means we have lots and lots and lots of different stories about what happened. I have tried my hardest to get one cohesive story that is pretty widely accepted, um, but that's not always going to be the story that everybody tells because everybody who was there experienced it in a different way. So I've, I've done my best and that's my little precursor as we go into this. I think that was good. Okay. Um, so before we even really talk about Stonewall itself, I wanted to talk a little bit about what the climate for queer folks was like before Stonewall what the world was like for them in the 50s and 60s. Of course. <clears throat> of course. Um, 
Also, sorry, another little disclaimer. <laughs> we are full of asterisks today. Yeah. And I'm um, here for it. I am a queer person, so I feel comfortable using the word queer. I know not everybody does, and that's totally fine. I just wanted to put that out there as I move forward, that that is language that I feel comfortable with, and that's what I'm going to be using. Mm-hmm. I am not a queer person, but I know that you are comfortable with that term, so I'll probably use it when conversing with you. Yep, totally fine. Totally fine Um, with me. But I normally wouldn't use it unless I knew. Yep. Because I know for a lot of people it's not, it's a not, I feel like the term queer was like one of those things that people sort of reclaimed. Yep. But that's not true for everyone. Mm -hmm. So. Yep. Yes. Just putting it out there. So on this podcast, queer is a word that we are comfortable and happy with. Not true for yeah. everybody, but I just wanted to say that going forward. Yes. Okay, that's cool. a good call. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> We're done anyway, with the disclaimers. Back into Let's the story talk now. About it. <laughs> so, in the 1950s, around the same time as the uh, McCarthy hearings were happening, it was like the second Red Scare. Mm-hmm. So, lots of people were being accused of uh, being communist supporters in the government. Um, this was a period that was also re- referred to as the Lavender Scare. Because uh, thousands of quote-unquote suspected homosexuals were denied or dismissed from government jobs and the military during this period. Uh, There was a prevailing belief that gay people were more likely to be communist sympathizers or they were easier to blackmail because of their sexuality. So that made them national security risks. So they used that as an excuse to fire people. I am repeatedly baffled at Uh these leaps that people make i just okay like you know when somebody says something like that like they were more likely to sympathize sympathize with communists it's like based on what yeah like nothing i mean that's the answer i don't know why Mm -hmm. i'm asking the Mm -hmm. answer is nothing based on homophobia (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) based on on. something they came up with in their brains and then yeah spread like wildfire you know yeah Ridiculous. Anyway. So, so in 1953, President Eisenhower signed Executive Order 10450, which banned homosexuals from working in the federal government. And then tons of people lost their jobs because of that. Uh, this is And a- probably more would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to think there were a lot of people that were not as open. Mm-hmm. And well, and that was the other thing. Lots of people who lost their jobs then got forcibly outed. Right, right. Well, mm-hmm. and but there are also there had to be people that were not outed, weren't suspected, but then had to like continue in their job with that fear. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Even imagine. Well, this quote I found says by the mid fifties, similar repressive and oppressive policies had gone into effect in state and local governments, which extended the prohibitions on the employment of lesbians and gay men to cover 12 million workers, more than 20% of the United States labor force who now had to sign oaths attesting to their quote, moral purity to get or keep their jobs. So, you know, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut on that. Yeah. One. <laughs> so that was the world that yeah. I uh, wanna, that a lot of queer folks had been living in. Yeah, I don't want to derail the whole story by ranting at every point, so I'm going to try really hard. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not to. Well, that's a good call because this next one's going to rile you up. Oh, no. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in 1952, the American Psychiatric Association listed homosexuality in the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual as a mental disorder. And this is the manual that every psychiatrist, therapist, everybody used to treat mental illness. Well, they still use the DSM. It's just updated versions. Now. Yes. I mean, it, but it's, like, a, it's a living sort of It's a living document. document. But then yeah. and now yes. it, is, it is the thing that everybody uses. It's the uses. standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh, a large-scale scale study of homosexuality in 1962 was used to justify inclusion of this, the disorder as a supposed pathological hidden fear of the opposite sex caused by traumatic parent-child relationships. So, so I'm sure you. you've heard that before. God, that, it's that so... That gay men are gay because they hated their moms or whatever. <laughs> or they were Freud? too close with their moms, oh. one or the other. <laughs> Freud would have flipped for this description. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Homosexuality was listed as a mental disorder in the DSM until 1974. That is wild. Yeah, real bad. 
So not only can uh, gay men and women not get hired anywhere, they are also thought of as mentally ill, and their existence is illegal. Yay. <laughs> it's rough. It's mm-hmm. insanity. Um, many cities made it illegal for people to wear, quote, opposite gender clothing. Uh, in New York City, there was a law that if you were not wearing at least three articles of the correct gender clothing, you could be arrested. Three is Three. A, a lot. Uh-huh. Like, think about, I mean, this is all stupid, but, like, think about summer. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. It's bad. What? That, I had never heard of that before, and that is oh, bonkers. It's a huge part of um why people got arrested, like, how they were, like, sure. why drag queens got arrested. And, that yeah. makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I guess I just never heard it. stated like that that? Mm -hmm. like with the three articles of clothing i did Mm -hmm. not know Mm -hmm. that specific i don't know if three was the standard but i know that's what the law was in new york that is so strange yeah okay so that was the cultural climate Mm -hmm. that people were living in uh there is sort of a false belief that stonewall started like all gay movements. Well, that would be silly. Yeah. There were gay organizations before Stonewall that existed and were, you know, active in society. So in 1950, gay men in Los Angeles formed the Mattachine Society. Uh, their goal was assimilation and respect. So they wanted to show straight people that gay people were just like normal human beings and not any different from straight people. What a crazy concept. So they sort of rejected, like, fringe queer groups in order to, like, I show that, like, gay people were just normal people. I see. And this society and the next one I'm going to talk about, too, were both, like, started as just a place for gay people to be able to hang out that wasn't a bar. Mm. And then it sort of built into, like, a social movement when they saw the need for that. Sure. In- the world um in 1955 a similar group for lesbians called the daughters of belitis was founded and it was basically just the lesbian group that sort of mirrored the medicine society it started so uh girls could dance together which i love <laughs> that's <laughs> they just wanted a space reason. to dance <laughs> who doesn't that who wasn't doesn't, a bar love who doesn't that need a space to dance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh-oh what? now i have a star kid song stuck in my head Oh, God. Which one? This is the problem. There's a lot. Is it always dance? No. Okay. To dance again. Okay, that one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there, there were a lot of options. Yeah. My other my other thought was, uh, I want to be a modern dancer. <laughs> That's good, too. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, Stonewall was not also not the first uh, riot in the gay community. There were a few small riots and public demonstrations before Stonewall, but not that many, and none of them were as large. But it was not the first uh, mm-hmm. social movement. Well, you know. that makes yeah. sense, I think, in terms of the general history of civil rights movements that tends to be. There's a buildup. It's yeah. not just like all of a sudden there was a big riot. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's not really how it works. No. <laughs> Usually. Um, and then also important to note that in the 60s, the general political climate was starting to become one of protest with mm. the civil rights movement and the anti-Vietnam the demonstrations. War. It was like that was becoming more and more mainstream. And so fe- people felt more comfortable protesting in that manner of course, than they did before. So that's all stuff that I felt was important to know before we started talking about yeah, the actual events at Stonewall. So let's talk a little bit about the Stonewall Inn. Let's. Let's. It is located on Christopher Street in Greenwich Village. In 1966, members of the Genovese, I believe, uh, mafia family buy Stonewall and turn it into a gay bar. So Interesting. I read that no gay bars were owned by gay people, and a lot of them were mafia-run. Interesting. I mean, I guess the 
not being owned by gay people makes a little more sense. Because that would have been difficult. Yeah. Logistically, it would have yes. been hard for them in that climate. Um, the mafia run thing is very interesting. To well, me. let's talk a little bit about why that probably was. Okay, so, great. Stonewall, the Stonewall bar, whenever they open it, it used to be like a restaurant that was primarily straight frequented and then they bought it to turn it into a gay bar. Uh-huh. Um, so when they like renovate it, quote unquote, <laughs> it has no liquor license, no running water behind the bar. No fire exits. It's not looking good. And toilets that break frequently. Wow. Yikes. The mafia pay off the police so that the bar can remain open because they have no liquor license and it's right. a club. So that- And is, it's in disrepair. Yeah. So that is probably why a lot of these places were mafia owned because they paid off the police to be able to use those establishments as like- backdoor like business practices and because it was already basically illegal to have a gay bar it wasn't it wasn't illegal to serve people to serve gay people liquor but there were no laws about when you could and couldn't revoke a liquor license so lots of gay bars just got their liquor like licenses revoked because they were serving gay people there was Uh no law preventing that um so the mafia already paying off for not having paying off the police for not having a liquor license just used that as a front and opened it up as a gay bar i don't Hmm. know i i think i just that connection made sense to me i don't know i mean yeah it still seems a little like i don't know i i don't know i don't know i'm sorry i'm so tired um (laughs) no it makes sense that places that are running illegally because they don't have a liquor license are places that the mafia would want to buy up. Yeah. I get that. Mm -hmm. What I don't totally get is why, like, did they turn, okay, here's the question. Did they turn them into quote unquote gay bars or was it just that those were the places that that particular group tended to frequent because it's like, they already had their liquor license taken away, so there was no fear of them serving them. There was still fear of them serving them. No, no, no. I'm saying it already taken away and the police are being paid off because it, because it's mafia owned. And then because of that, the, the LGBTQ community frequents those places I, because it's a little easier for them. Do you know? Maybe, does that make sense? Yeah. It, the only problem is that regardless of being paid off, police still raided those locations. So there was sure. no way they were ever going to actually be able to go somewhere where they were protected. Well, I no, think it's just, I don't it, think that. But I think that they wouldn't have had any illusions of that either. I just think right. this was like the best option. I, th- I think you're right. I think it was the best okay. option. We spent way too much time on yeah. this. I just was very interested in I it. I mean, and that's really saying something because like there is also a myth that like the Stonewall was like a beloved place, but it was it was busted. It was yeah. dirty. They watered down drinks. They didn't wash uh-huh. their glasses. Like it was it was not it was not good. But it was the only place they had. Right. Um so to further that point, the entrance fee is three dollars. It gives patrons two drink tickets. Uh, because they had no liquor license, formally, they are supposed to be a private bottle club. Mm. Uh, so, like, bring your own drinks. So they have to have people sign their names at the door because it's supposed to be a private club, but people oh. use fake names. Um, well, yeah, they. why wouldn't you? Yeah. And then the other big draw of Stonewall was that it was the only gay club in New York that allows dancing. Right. So people go there because it's the only place they can go (laughs) there are other gay bars but it's the only one that allows dancing yeah so stonewall is largely frequented by drag queens uh effeminate gay men butch lesbians and the homeless gay youth who live in christopher park across the street and all of those groups of people are the like fringe subculture mm-hmm. outcast gay people like all of them and probably the most like 
noticeable when you pass them on the street. Which is why they were so outcast. Because right. totally. society already didn't like gay people. And that a lot of gay people who were just trying to like hide away in society and live didn't like that those people were so visible. Yeah, and, and these so- were the people who were like, I'm just still going to be who I am. Yeah. yeah. So it was just, it was difficult and scary to live like that. And so people didn't like them and didn't want to be associated with them. So they were the people who frequented Stonewall. Mm -hmm. So we already have this, like, dangerous location where it's hard to just, like, live and be. And then all of the most discriminated against groups in the gay community all frequent this place. Mm -hmm. So that's all happening. (laughs) So like we were saying before, police raids on gay bars are super frequent during this time. Because they are trying to shut down gay bars by taking their liquor license. So they're looking for anything they can get to try and shut a place down. Sometimes I just think about, like, all the time, money, and energy they spent on just not letting people have fun. Yeah. What? Oh, this is a fun fact that I just remembered I wanted to mention that I forgot about. Um, After World War I, Greenwich Village, uh, during the Prohibition movement, also sort of became a gay scene. Mm Mm-hmm. It was like a place where people flocked, and then it just sort of stayed like that. Yeah, it's a very artsy kind of place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like after World War One, there was a lot of like prohibition bars there, and then that sort of faded a little bit. And then the beat poet movement grew yes. out of Greenwich Village, and then it just I sort could of talk became, about that for yeah, a while. Yeah, and I then won't. it just sort of became like the gay area in New York. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. I just thought it was interesting. Um, so police raids. Back to police raids. (laughs) Um, a lot of the time, the owners would be tipped off beforehand, especially at Stonewall because the police were being paid. Um, so they would have time to hide alcohol and tell people to stop dancing and, like, be, like, prepared for one to happen. And they usually happened earlier in the night, so they would have plenty of time to, like, continue business after the raid was over. Mm -hmm. So... During a raid, typically, patrons would have to line up and have their ID cards checked. Anyone who was not wearing three articles of clothes of the clothes for their assigned gender could be arrested. Uh, a lot of drag queens and trans women would be taken to the restroom by female officers to check if their sex matched the clothing they were wearing. And Ugh. if they didn't, they would be arrested. Ugh. Yeah. So that Just, was... Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> It's just gross. It is gross. It's very gross. It's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. Gross. So, all of that. What was what? Nope, go ahead. Nope, wait, you made a face though. No, do what you say what you're gonna say. Oh, oh, I see. (laughs) I hate my life. Okay. Do what you're gonna say. On June twenty eighth, nineteen sixty nine. That's when we went to the moon. Great. Uh, Great, great, great. Don't sue me, Disney. I didn't didn't give enough of the song for copyright infringement. Mm-hmm, Thank mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, June 28th, 1969, at 1.20 a.m., police officers arrive for a raid on Stonewall Inn. The employees had not been tipped off for the raid like they normally had, and it occurred much later in the night than they usually did, so people were really caught off guard mm-hmm. by the fact that it was happening. Uh, Apparently, undercover officers had entered earlier in the night and then called for backup from the bar's payphone. Uh, This I found really interesting. Historian David Carter uh, has a theory that the mafia owners were not just paying off the police. They were also bribing some of their or blackmailing some of their wealthier customers who Mm -hmm. didn't want to get outed. So like people who worked on Wall Street who didn't want to get outed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they appear to be making more money from that than they were for their liquor sales. And the police were angry that they weren't getting any kickback from that money. So oh. they decided they wanted to close Stonewall permanently. That's an interesting theory. Mm-hmm. I found that very interesting. Yeah. And it makes sense why they wouldn't have been tipped off and why it happened so late at night and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why they would send in undercovers too? Yeah, well, that they know actually was what it is. That was really common because there was a, a huge and terrible practice of uh, uh, police officers extorting people and then ar- arresting them when they like hit on them, essentially. Mm. So that practice was really 
popular. Like, literal, actual queer baiting. Yeah. Like, for real. Gross! It was terrible. (sighs) Yeah. Um, so that, that was not that uncommon, but, you know, typically they, the mafia owners would have known that a raid was happening. Yeah, I just meant, like, for this place specifically, they already know what the deal is What's happening there, there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so once the police arrive, the lights are turned on and people start lining up to check their ID cards. Uh, some of the patrons who had never experienced a raid before panic and try to leave, but the police bar the doors, so no one is allowed to leave. There are about 205 people at the bar when the police arrive. So, like we were saying before, standard procedure was to line the patrons up, check their ID, and have the female police officers take customers' dresses dresses women to the bathroom to verify their sex if they were dressing in female clothing and were not biologically female, they would be arrested. I wonder if they were that invasive for women who presented biologically female people who presented male it wasn't as prominent so it wasn't as bad but it did happen like a part of this this whole situation that started to build tension was that some of the uh butch lesbians were complaining that people were that the police officers were like trying to feel them up like that was it was definitely it was definitely also an issue it's just that yeah uh, i just wondered if it was like as frequent but you're right it's probably just that drag queens and street queens were were very common um and so it happened to them a lot yeah um so that was the standard procedure that's what happened at every police raid but that night the people who were dressed as women refused to go to the bathroom with the officers and the men in line refused to show police their identification so they just like we're all like no i'm sick of this i don't want to deal with it anymore we're not we're not doing it the police decide they're going to take I, I read everyone present but they don't arrest everyone so i think that sort of just means everyone they arrested they decide they're going to take them to the police station uh they separate the drag queens and trans women and put them in the back of the crowd like in a separate room while they wait for the patrol wagons to arrive the patrol wagons were originally coming to help transport seized alcohol from the mm-hmm. bar um, but they were also going to take people back to the police station with them when they arrive. The people who were not arrested are allowed to leave out of the front door. Once they're released, though, they don't go home. They well, no. instead start gathering outside of the bar. Again, this had never happened before. This was an uncommon occurrence. Between 100 and 150 people gather outside. That includes the people who had been at the bar and then the others in the area who had noticed the police cars and gathered to see what was going on. Uh, When the first patrol wagon arrives, police begin escorting the people they had arrested out of the bar. Thank you for doing all of this uh, spell check for me that you have been doing while I've been talking because I I was not paying any attention while I was No, it's okay. Um. Yes, so when the patrol wagon arrives, they start uh, escorting people out of the bar. At first, the crowd is not violent. They start singing and joking and shouting messages of gay power. So they're not quiet. They're kind of restless and unruly, but they're not violent. Uh, So, there are several different stories about how the violence broke out. I am sure you have seen... Blank through the first brick at Stonewall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that whole thing. So a lot of people say that Marsha P. Johnson, quote unquote, threw the first brick. Uh, I don't know if everyone knows who Marsha is, but she was a black street queen who was huge in the uh, gay liberation and trans movement after this moment in history there's a great documentary about her i think on netflix mm-hmm. i i, I saw it I, get, I didn't have time to watch it but i, saw I get all my streaming there. services messed up but i think it's on netflix You're, yeah it is um uh so lots of people say that Marsha, quote unquote threw the first brick uh but she did not arrive until the riot was well underway she got there later so mm-hmm. it was not her other people say that uh sylvia riviera quote unquote threw the first brick uh she is also super influential in the gay liberation and 
huh, trans liberation movement. Sorry, my brain shut down for a second. <laughs> um, uh, but she and other people who were present deny that. Uh, the most accurate story that is seen most often and is told most often by people who were there is the story of a butch lesbian who was in handcuffs and fighting with police as she was being escorted out of the bar. An officer hits her over the head with a baton and she yells at the crowd, why don't you guys do something? And as she's put it, being put in the police wagon, that's when the violence starts breaking out. Mm. Uh, the woman has never been actually identified. Many people believe that it was uh, Stormy De La, De La Veri, I believe is how you say her last name. I don't know. Um, uh, she has at different times confirmed and denied that, so it's mm. unclear who it was. <laughs> Um, and the other problem with the concept of who threw the first brick is that most people who were there say that bricks were not thrown. Well, it's a pretty common, um, like, propaganda tool mm-hmm. because you want yeah. a slogan. I'm, I'm not saying propaganda in a negative way here. I'm yeah, talking no, about the- building up a following and capitalizing on a moment to push your message forward. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's like, it's a slogan. It's a rallying point. Yeah. So I think that it's the same as like, think about the Boston Massacre and the mm-hmm. redoing of the painting, which we could, I could do an entire episode on just the Boston Massacre. But, yeah. um, you know, Christmas Attics being, you know, right. It being the one that was shot. Is that, I'm talking about the right thing, right? I'm sorry. I'm so The tired. painting is about the Boston Mat. Yes, I know what you're talking about. No, but I'm talking about Christmas Attics. That's the right person, right? I'm pretty sure. Yes. <sighs> okay. I'm sorry. My, I'm so tired. Um, but like being the first person who was shot and becoming a martyr, it's like, well, that's probably true, but he didn't really become a martyr until it was a propaganda tool. So it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. because they needed a rallying mm-hmm. point, they needed something to rally around. So it's like, while the violence was true in this situation, it definitely did happen and probably, you know, windows are broken and whatnot. It's not so much the action of someone physically picking up a brick and throwing yeah. it. It's like who who got the momentum going yeah and the reason that now marcia and uh sylvia are so often credited is because they were two queer women of color who Mm -hmm. got erased by a lot of the white gay community as the gay liberation movement started. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And they were hugely influ- influential and huge workers. <clears throat> and as um, the gay liberation movement got like wider and wider, now we find it really important to honor those women for the work that they did. Well, yeah, of course. Um, and so that I think is now why we hear that those awesome. two were the first people, you know, it's more of a metaphorical through the first brick. So when mm-hmm. when like when I, when I hear the phrase Marsha P. Johnson through the first brick at Stonewall, what I'm hearing is Marsha P. Johnson laid the groundwork mm-hmm. for the things that happened. Yep. at Stonewall. It's the same as like Rosa Parks wouldn't give up her seat on the bus, and she becomes like an icon. But the truth is that that was planned. There mm-hmm. was groundwork, you know. So the, but. I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, Is I'm that with right? you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I watched this really great video and read this really great uh, New York Times article called Who Threw the First Brick at Stonewall, mm-hmm. where this I've guy um, interviewed uh, people who were at Stonewall the night of the riot, uh, Stonewall historians and contemporary queer writers, mm-hmm. and they talked about the myth of Stonewall and the reality of it. And it was it was really good. I watched it like three times while I was yeah. doing my research. I highly I've seen recommend it. it. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is something I didn't take any notes on, but I find the myth of it really interesting. That um, the the quote unquote first brick was thrown because of uh, Julie Judy Garland's funeral, which is just I've not heard true. This. It's not true. I've people heard like, that people were outraged. And sad by because of Judy Garland's death because her funeral had been held the the day before and a yes. lot of the Stonewall queens were there, um, and people were like incensed at her death. They started a riot. It's not true. It's not true. No, I've heard that before too. Though that I've definitely heard that. It's not something that I'm, it's like I've heard people trying to convince other people of. It's just like a thing. That a thing I, you've heard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
excuse me while I put Judy Garland on my list of topics because I definitely want to talk about her. That's a good one. (laughs) That's a good one. Continue. (laughs) So regardless of how it started, the crowd begins throwing things at the police. They throw pennies, rocks, empty beer cans and bottles, probably not bricks. (laughs) Um, Some of the people who were arrested escaped. Uh, escape police wagons as the police are trying to deal with the crowd. Uh, One wagon is overturned and the tires are slashed on others. Uh, More people from Greenwich Village are now starting to gather and joining in in the riot. Uh, Ten police officers barricade themselves in the bar with several of the handcuffed detainees that they had with them. The crowd then begins throwing things at Stonewall Inn. They break the windows, uh, they set garbage on fire and start throwing it into the buildings and set trash cans on fire. Uh, The police outside attempt to use a fire hose to disperse the crowd, but the water pressure was so low that it just didn't work. And in fact, like, spurred people on. I mean, that's probably a a good thing, because that's- it's so damn- It's so violent and terrible. Oh, it's the worst. Uh, The tactical patrol force, which I will call the- TPF from here on out, uh, arrives to try and free the police that were trapped inside the bar. They form a phalanx to try and push the crowd back. Mm-hmm. And as a response, the people in the crowd start forming kick lines and singing. <laughs> and this is the song they sing. The lyrics are, we are the Stonewall girls. We wear our hair in curls. We don't wear underwear. We show our pubic hair. Work. <laughs> is fantastic and it's nailed to, it to the tune of the listen. um howdy doody theme i think uh, yes okay yeah listen for made up on the spot lyrics that is really good yes yeah, and trust me i know made up on the spot lyrics yeah. <laughs> you sure do <laughs> I love um that. one of the <laughs> in that new york times video that i was talking about they're talking about the the claim that there were kick lines at Stonewall. Mm-hmm. And they were like, so was there really a kick line? And everyone went, there was many kick lines. There were <laughs> yeah, right. so many kick lines. They were everywhere. Also, why is that the thing that you think is unrealistic? I don't know. It, it's just like I think a part it's of like the myth. Yeah. Pretty. I, I would expect that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, <laughs> the streets are mostly clear by about 4 a.m. 13 people had been arrested. Uh, a few from the crowd and four police officers were injured, and almost everything inside of the Stonewall Inn had been broken either by the protesters or by the police at some point in the night. Mm-hmm. That morning, the New York Times, the New York Post, and the Daily no- News all report on the riot. So all day long, there are rumors about why the riot started. People are going by to see the wreckage. There's graffiti on the uh, outside of Stonewall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously in the lots and lots and lots of uh, rumors about why it started, people were trying to figure out if anybody had organized the demonstration. Mm. Everybody who was there has said it was not organized. It was just everybody it was, was a reaction. so fed up of the way they were being treated that all at once everyone just decided we're not dealing with this anymore. And this well, is really, all you need is one person to decide mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. It's, they're not doing it anymore. And then, and then the next person will decide, gonna... and the next person will decide, no, and well, then it'll and, just happen. And they're not just deciding for themselves, but also, like, defending the person who stepped up. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So this was not, like, a pre-planned thing. It was just that everybody was sick and tired of being treated like this. Mm-hmm. That night, so the night after the initial riot... Uh, thousands of people come to the Stonewall Inn, which is open, even though it's, like, busted, but, like, people are coming, you know. Uh, Christopher Street is so full that the crowds spill over into the adjoining blocks. Over a hundred police officers are present to try and control the crowd. The TPF arrives at 2 a.m., and the crowd is dispersed by 4 a.m., and that night was a lot of the same as the first night. Mm. Throwing things, breaking things, setting trash cans on fire, kick lines you know all of that (laughs) that's Uh, a demonstration without a good kick line obviously yeah uh similar riots and demonstrations continue for uh three more nights maybe four more nights that number might not be right um 
But it was like a couple of nights where it had been a little less. And then the Village Voice, mm-hmm. which had their office right across the street from Stonewall, published this like hateful article. And people came out again that night for an even stronger demonstration because of that. And it just sort of kept going on and on and on and on, you know? Mm-hmm. So that is the the riots themselves. That's what happened. We're going to talk a little bit about the aftermath of that. And then I want to just talk about some historical things that have happened since then because of that. Okay. So initially, members of the Medicides Society are opposed to the methods used at Stonewall because they believed the way to acceptance was assimilation. They had used peaceful demonstrations in the past because they had they had done public demonstrations, but they mm-hmm. used peaceful demonstrations in the past. They disagreed with the violence, and a lot of them disagreed with the really countercultural displays of queer identity that occurred at Stonewall and around that, because they thought, let's just try and be, quote-unquote, normal people who are also gay, you know? So that sort of put them at odds with the people who Mm -hmm. were at Stonewall. Uh, Shortly after the riots, the Gay Liberation Front is formed uh, for those that are seeking... Uh, liberation using more radical methods than they could find with the Medici Society or in the uh, Daughters of Belitis. It is the first organization to use the word gay in its name. Huh. Isn't that interesting? I just thought that huh. was interesting. It is interesting. Uh, I got this quote from that New York Times article. I really liked it. Uh, Mark Siegel, who was present at the riots, described the Gay Liberation Front as, quote, the most dysfunctional organization that has ever existed in the LGBT community and literally why we have everything that we have today. That, I mean, that seems about right. Yeah. They were horribly dysfunctional. They spent more time arguing about every single thing than they did, like, setting rules. But they also Mm. were hugely influential and effective like civil well, rights leaders and as disorganized as they were like somebody had to be the first group to do it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and they did a lot and they really they I, they paved the way mm-hmm. uh within the six months after the riot three gay newspapers uh were established wow in December, people who agreed with the idea of the Gay Liberation Front but found their uh, meetings very dysfunctional formed the Gay Activists Alliance, and they were a very similar group. So that's six months after Stonewall, two new gay activist groups are formed, and mm-hmm. three new publications are created. Yeah. It's, it's like more of an official movement now. It's yeah. more in the public zeitgeist. Yeah. Well, it was know. it was a a movement that was kind of striving to not be paid paid attention to, and it turned into a movement that demanded that they were seen. And well, that's seen what I meant. Are. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. You know, it's like there was always something building up there, and mm-hmm. there were always people fighting for it. But but then it became very public very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And it became public in a way that we were becoming more and more familiar with, mm-hmm. with the civil rights movement. Yeah. And the uh, anti-war movement. Protests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on June 28th, 1970, the first gay pride parades in American history occur in New York, L.A., and San Francisco. Uh, in New York, it's referred to as the Christopher Street Liberation Day. That was how they organized it. Mm. Uh. After this, those who were initially wary of the new liberation movement began to change their attitude. Uh, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, Frank Kameni, who was one of the co-founders of the Medicine Society, would later comment, uh, quote, By the time of Stonewall, we had 50 to 60 gay groups in the country. A year later, there was at least 1,500. By two years later, to the extent... To the extent that a count could be made, it was 2,500. So they just, it, it lit a fire under people. Yeah, and I also think, like, the, pe- the people who were sort of opposed to the methods, it's like at a certain point you have to go, well, that's the thing that's working, though. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. w- that's how we have to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
And it it became a, we can't live like this anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It was just people were just sick of not being able to just live their lives. Well, hey, history proves that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot suppress. I'm not going to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot more I could say about the gay liberation movement, but that would probably be a whole other episode. And all of the intricacies of that, like. Oh, gosh. There's all kinds of stuff. Lesbians versus lesbian feminists versus feminists. Oh, yes. And then the exclusion of people of color from these movements. It's it's very We can talk about the and, Lavender Menace. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's girl, There's a lot. Fascinating. And there's a lot yeah. more I could say, but I just don't have time. So, Well, hey, we'll have other Pride Months to, to talk about it's it. It's true. It's true. Or other months. It doesn't have to be a Pride mm-hmm. Month. It could be mm-hmm. whatever we want. Um. So just to, to wrap up, the significance of Stonewall. Uh, I just wanted to hit a couple other important points. Do it. Hit it. Bill Clinton was the first president to declare June as Gay Pride Month in hey, 1999. <laughs> that was me. my impersonation of John Mulaney doing an impersonation of Bill Clinton. Hey, yeah, and it was, it was very good. It was very Thanks. good. Um, and obviously June, June is chosen to honor Stonewall. So mm-hmm. that's the reason that Pride Month is in June. Also in June of 1999, the U.S. Department of the Interior designated 51 and 53 Christopher Street and the surrounding areas in Greenwich Village to be on the National Register of Historic Places. And it was the first thing to be on the National Register that was relevant to queer history. Hmm. This I found very interesting. In his inaugural address in 2013... Obama became the first president to mention gay rights or use the word gay in, a, in an inaugural address. Couldn't I get knew this. Out. I remember it. I remember people wild? talking about it. Yes, it is. It's insanity. 2013. Oh, it's crazy. But like at the same time, of course, it was Barack Obama. It's the true. Best. God bless. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I know. I miss him. <laughs> Uh, on June 23rd, 2015, the New York City Landmarks Preservation Committee uh, approved the designation of the Stonewall Inn as a city landmark, making it the first landmark honored for its role in the fight for gay rights. And then on June 24th, 2016, our good friend Obama, back at it again. <laughs> our, our good, good president, pre- President uh, Obama. Uh-huh, uh, announced the estab- establishment of the Stonewall National Monument site to be administered by the National Park Service. So it is, it, that's a national park now. Isn't that wild? That's an interesting designation. Mm-hmm. There was a whole other little detail about that, about like the designating of the land. I'm and, like, sure, park yeah, I'm sure it has to do stuff, with and it's like how but... it can be cared for and like mm-hmm. regulated and that yeah. kind of thing. But I remember when he did that. Yeah, me too. Uh, and then last year was the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots. So Pride last year was largely yeah. themed around the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Not the pride we went to, but that had nothing to do with. <laughs> that's that's another thing we could talk about is how corporate pride has become. Oh, yes. How much I have a very oh. big problem with that. Yes. Um. Although we had fun at Pride last yes, year, we did. but but it's, the, it's it is a thing. It's a problem. And I think that the good time we had at Pride last year had entirely everything to do with the way our particular experience was framed. Yeah. 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 Like we were sure. there as part of a group, and it was really fun. But yeah. Very corporate. Yeah. But that was my first Pride. I love it. And this yeah, is that my, was your first Pride. And this is my first Pride month being all the way out of the closet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hello. I knew. Yeah, but. well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but Everyone yeah. did. But it's, it's well, cool. But, you, you know, it's still a, an important mm-hmm. moment. Um, yeah, that's right. I forgot that last year was the first. It was my first Pride, too. It was the first Pride celebration we had gone to. Mm-hmm. I was glad we got to go together. Yeah, same. I'm very bummed we won't be able to do anything, any big celebrations this month, but that doesn't well, mean we're person. not still going to, yeah, not, doesn't you know. mean we're not still going to celebrate Pride Month. Yes. I always feel very lucky that my birthday is the first day of Pride Month. I know. I always am like, I'm going to post a thing about Anna's birthday, and then I'm also going to post a thing about Pride Month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, it's just like a whole month of celebrating and that my, makes me really happy. My birthday is National Women's Day, which I also feel like is a great and awesome thing. Yeah, look at that. Wow, we have very important birthdays. Yeah, my birthday is uh, <laughs> Women's History Month. 
and yours is Pride Month. I'm getting a Pride Month. <laughs> awesome. Yes, that is true. Though it was not Pride Month my whole life. No. Not until after you were born. Mm-hmm. It was celebrated as Pride Month. But it wasn't life, official. But it wasn't official. Yeah. 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 That was a good episode. I Thank mean, you. Stonewall is yeah. fascinating. I definitely recommend the documentary on Marsha P. Johnson yeah. just because. I've, I've been oh, wanting to do God. it for a while. It's very interesting and important. It's a little intimidating because there's just so much that goes into it. Um, and so many different factors and, and different stories. And so much stories. is unknown. Yeah, there's about... so many different stories. So yeah. I really just wanted to try and tell that story the best I could because it's just so important. And I I know a lot of people in the queer community who just don't know that story. Like, I didn't hear about Stonewall until so much later in my life than I should have. Like, it should be taught well, in schools. We could with, have a whole other discussion. Yeah. yeah, we could have a whole other discussion about the things the American public school system excludes yeah, from for history. Real. But, like, and, it, it, hap- it occurred at the same time as the civil rights movement, and I just think that it's mm-hmm. a huge civil rights movement that's so important that we should yeah, talk well, about. Yeah, well, you know, we, white- we whitewash that enough. As it is, as too. it is, so, yeah, that's true. You know, there's just, yeah, so much. But I just to think learn. it's important. I think we need to, oh, it's to learn about important. it, and talk about it. Hugely important. Yeah, I'm glad you made an episode about it. Thanks. Uh, so our next episode is going to be very fun. I'm very excited. I'm excited too. I'm I am going to be just sort of a backseat participant, and I'm very excited about that. Actually, yeah. <laughs> so so our next episode is also a Pride Month episode. Um, I will not reveal exactly what it is or what our structure is going to be, but it's going to be very silly and very fun. And uh, my wonderful, wonderful friend, AJ Gennaros, uh, who is the host of the podcast Straight Off the Top of My Headlines, is going to be co-hosting with me as Yay. we tell Anna some some fun and interesting stories. And I'm really looking forward to it. So I hope you excited. will join us uh, for our next episode. And uh, and hey, look at us telling you what is going to be in the next episode. Yeah, this and not even so just rare. a topic. Like, we have a plan. <laughs> this so never rare. happens to us. <sighs> well, if you have other topic suggestions, um, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Um, what am I supposed to say? I don't know. God, I am so tired. Okay. <laughs> um, he, here's a fun drinking game. Go back and listen to this episode. And, and take every a time I say I'm tired. Every time Anna says she's tired. <laughs> or your water. Are or you an water. Anna or are you Amanda? Are you going to take a sip of your white wine or are you going to take a sip of your water? <laughs> I'm not usually a white wine person. You're painting a, a distorted picture sure, of you me. are usually a red wine person. Thank it's you. just that you have white wine today. Today, yeah. Um... <laughs> Anyway, okay. you can follow us on Twitter at RTTPod. You can also find us on Facebook. Just look up the name of the podcast and there we shall be. Um, if you uh, want to leave us a rating or a review on any of the platforms where you listen to this, that would be amazing. Um, and if you want to find me on the internet, I am at The Real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Whew. So next so time we'll have a special it. guest. Yes. I hope you will all uh, welcome and enjoy AJ. He's one of my best friends in the world, and I'm very excited I to have him. He's don't been listening. See how you can't enjoy AJ? Yeah, he's been listening to this podcast since it began. So I'm very excited to have him on finally. Yeah, I've met AJ in person exactly once, and I loved him very much. Yeah, that's so uh, accurate. I'm excited. It's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well then, until that wonderful next time, remember that time.